from Touchstone Pictures. Twas the night before Christmas, but in the land of Halloween, it was decided that this year something new would be seen. Surprised, aren't you? From Tim Burton, the director of Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, comes a motion picture experience unlike any other. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And what did Santa bring you, honey? Rated PG. Coming this month to a theater near you. Making Christmas. Making Christmas. Merry, happy, everyone, on this special episode of Whose Philbiography Is It Anyway, where this week we break a norm of going down an individual uh, filmography and decided to do a special episode. This week we are covering The Nightmare Before Christmas. With me, as always, is my co host and friend, Josh Page. Thank you, Stephen, for. Uh... Another lovely introduction as always. Yes, uh, yes, folks, we figured in uh, lieu of covering Disney, uh, classic Disney, golden, golden age wartime Disney, that Steve and I decided we would cover Nightmare Before Christmas for Christmas time. So congratulations. Here's our gift to you. you know. <laughs> very so, happy. Very ha- happy. I guess this is everyone. a better gift than some of the ones Jack gave out, right? That is debatable. I've always wanted those frightening jack-in-the-boxes. You've always wanted one of those dolls that floats like an exorcist that <laughs> chases after you. I mean, come on. Let's give the... Give, come on. Make, or, uh, or what is the, the reef yeah, that yeah, attacks yeah. the old woman? The one with the eyes on it? <laughs> yeah, that show is ridiculous. It's wonderful. What a That's gift. Fabulous. I know. Fabulous. <laughs> but yes, we're, uh, we're going to get into the thick of it. This is exciting. This is a good, uh, good time. Let's start this podcast by me asking you a question, Josh. Do you think The Nightmare Before Christmas is more of a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? So for years, I always thought it was um, kind of like on the, you know, kind of in the middle, could be on the fence. Um, There's a little portion. There's a little, <laughs> perfect for Thanksgiving. It's right it's between the holidays. It's a Thanksgiving movie. It's right between the holidays. Um, I, there was a point, I remember in like high school where, having to debate with someone and saying it's definitely a Christmas movie. But as I've gotten older, I've realized it's, for me, it's more of a Halloween movie. Yeah. Yeah. Why? What about yourself? I tend to go more toward Christmas because the climax of the movie is on Christmas. Well, the way I see it is it starts with this is Halloween and it ends with a rendition of or I don't know what you call it. What's like this? A, but it, start, it begins and it begin Yeah, re- reprise. reprise. It begins and ends... Surprise, surprises it begins and ends in halloween town so i just i don't know i guess i kind of see it being full circle it's like here's a story about halloween and why yeah, halloween but how is halloween town at the end of the movie covered in snow they've indoctrinated yes. christmas christmas it's, is now part of their life i think it's the transition movie like for those at for those people at home who definitely do jump from halloween movies watching halloween horror movies to christmas movies this is uh, the right transition film. This is the last movie you should watch on Halloween and then jump right into Christmas movies afterward. I, I don't know. I, I hate the dragging out of Christmas nowadays. It, it's too long. It's way too long. Hey, it depends on the person, man. Some people want to get in the spirit for longer. I know. People like Starbucks has the holiday cups the day after Halloween. It's fucking crazy. Christmas is one day. It's one day. I'm going to get in trouble saying all this, though. I'm not going to give my whole belief system right now. No, you don't have to. My uh, anti-Christmas cheer. 
No, no, listen, you and I have, have given our anti-cheer this entire show. I mean, that's why, you know, like, I imagine people tune in and be like, who are these, who are these assholes? I'm, I'm out, you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> that's fine. This is a place where we can give our thoughts well, and maybe beliefs. Maybe that's why this movie hits me home more, I, because yeah. it's a Christmas movie that is kind of still indoctrinated in the Halloween cheer. Uh, it's a movie that's also challenging the idea of cheer because I well I mean I know we always tease your final thoughts right in the beginning but it's like they're trying to like so desperately create Christmas and yet it's like they we're not Christmas we're we're undead Halloween characters and is well, that not is that not all of us? <laughs> let's uh, to get into like production pre production news and stuff. Tim Burton kind of expressed what you just expressed he said that this movie is a reverse grinch you know his jack skellington's uh heart needs to shrink again not grow you know he needs to move out of christmas back to halloween this is him getting his halloween spirit back not about him getting his christmas spirit exactly maybe i have talked myself into this being a halloween movie (laughs) you've heard it here folks we've only done it in less than six minutes but steven has Converted his opinion. <laughs> this is now a Halloween movie. Totally converted here. So, uh, with that uh, said, though, like, we, why don't you just jump into pre-production notes and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll warm up that fire and get the folks cozy and we'll do movie our thing. came out in 1993, October 29th. So I guess Disney uh, thought it was an end of Halloween season movie, kind of, kind of too. Uh, it was directed not by Tim Burton, contrary to what people may think. It was directed by Henry Sillick, who we've talked about before with Wes Anderson. He did Fantastic Mr. Fox. While Wes Anderson was the director of Fantastic Mr. Fox, Henry Sillick is the guy on the boots every day, making sure everything is going all right. Uh, The budget for... Yes. I'm sorry. Now, was he the one that built the sets for... Or helped build the sets for Fantastic Mr. Fox? He's the claim. He's the he's the like the, the yes. He did fantastic animation. Mr. Fox. Uh, he but he did not do Isle of Dogs. Right, because I remember we talked in the Fantastic Mr. Fox episode. Excuse me about we in the Fantastic Mr. Fox episode we talked about Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, because those I think those are all Selick's. Those are his. That's, those those are yeah, his. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when in regards to this movie, Selick said it is as though he, Burton, laid an, laid the egg and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hand is in it. It was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film. That's, so, I mean, they did a, a bang-up job. I mean, did. I guess it was based on a, on a poem that Tim Burton had written. Tim Burton worked in Disney uh, animation before he became a director. And he actually had uh, developed sketches for this movie prior to uh, it being in production, prior to him actually being a director. Mm-hmm. So, because one uh, of the t- uh, top notes, it says Tim Burton had said the original poem was inspired after seeing Halloween merchandise display in a store being taken down and replaced by Christmas display, and seeing the juxtaposition of ghouls and goblins with Santa and his reindeer had immediately sparked his imagination. Yeah. I find that yeah, I find that interesting. Well, my guess is that uh, 
that's where the idea stemmed from. And he had sketch I, sketch ideas that he did at Disney, but then he left to become a director. And uh, while this movie was in production, because it was a three-year production, which is nuts. Uh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, we've talked about the lengths in which the stop-motion animators have to go to to make a movie. In And uh, we'll get into more of that later. But from what I heard, Tim Burton was on set like twice. He was actually directing uh, the Batman Returns and what's the other one? Ed Wood during the production and release of Nightmare Before Christmas. Interesting. Which is interesting because Batman Returns could be considered a Christmas movie. So two Christmas movies in a row. (laughs) He was really in the Christmas spirit that year. That movie, Batman Returns, Josh and I were talking about it earlier. What a crazy wild movie. It's really Tim, Tim, peak Tim Burton. No real script was uh, given to Danny Elfman when he had to write the music. They said, so Danny Elfman really helped develop the story more than anyone. He would get general sketches of characters from Tim Burton and Elfman would write music, play it for Burton, ask what happens in the next scene and only got like a general answer. So Elfman had to convert what he was seeing from Burton's sketches and from what Burton was telling him and develop like a story to go along with with what's going on. Well, one of the top notes here, it says, um, Danny Elfman found that writing Nightmares uh, songs as one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. I had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to see how, and I kind of, there was like a, there was, it seemed to be a natural flow with everyone involved right from the beginning. I really think that this was Danny Elfman's script in reality because of how much, let's be candid here, most of this movie is song. I mean, there's <clears throat> there's a bunch of speaking throughout. The movie's also a lot shorter than you'd think for a common animated film, even for its time. Um, well, it's, it's an hour 15 minutes, which is right. for a stop motion animated feature, that's like pretty normal, I would say. Yeah, around that I, time. Well, I know we learned with this whole series, this whole season, that you know Disney movies could, were a lot shorter sometimes than we realized. Yeah, that's but, true. <clears throat> just in general, so I guess this was a common runtime. But and some some of those Disney movies felt longer. Um, this is this is also true. <laughs> so after the music was recorded, uh, storyboards were made. And essentially, they pre-made this movie before any of the stop motion was taken. A lot of it was done. The set models were about a third scale, which is huge. That's yeah. still like a big uh, set to come. They needed to build the set to be able to come apart so that the stop motion animators could get in and move the actual models. Typically, they said that they need a two-foot reach because they don't want anyone reaching over two feet to get to the models because you may fall and crush the set. Yeah, yeah. Would have been devastating. Which should not be good. (laughs) It was three sculptors for the entire project, which is fucking nuts. Yeah, it's Uh, wild. These were like the concept artists who made the models. Uh, The models were created on clay for concept. Obviously, that's nothing new. Uh, and just like Fantastic Mr. Fox, models were then made on top of an a exoskeleton. But this time, 
the models were made out of latex, which was different than Fantastic Mr. Fox. Maybe it's because the characters in this movie are less um, hairy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there you go. Uh, 60 plus characters are in the movie total, and there are three to four duplicates, three to four duplicate models made of each character. So that's a lot of models. That's wild. I, yeah, I mean, it's a huge ensemble all around for a film like this and you really feel it. Um, What's interesting is watching it this time, I felt as though they were trying to make the most of what they got, but it was also not necessarily big enough. You know, like the town felt full, but not full enough. Um, I think like they made- You go to Christmas land and there's people and elves everywhere. And then you go to Halloween town and there are a lot of townspeople, but when they call the town meeting together, it's what, like 20, 30 people? I think that the they, they, they banked on what they did with Christmas Town because it's really just with what's this, it's just that's the only, I mean, there's the end of the movie, but it's really, they banked on that one song to just utilize how big this world really was. Um, and so I think they just threw in as much as they could. Where with Halloween Town, I think they had all these very, very detailed characters. No, I who, agree. So I think it would maybe just took more time, but. Um, no, I, that's what I was saying. It's like complex feelings on this because I think that they did a lot and it's harder to do anymore given the um, complexity of making these models. Yeah, I have so much respect. I said it in the Fantastic Mr. Fox episode and you'll hear me say it throughout this whole show. Well, our show in general is that I have such a, um, like many, fil many film people out there, I have, yeah, I, I mean... Um, anything with stop motion, uh, you know, production quality, um, what do you call it? Like authentic production, you know, that's why I'll always choose like puppetry over CGI. And Well, do you want more reverence here? I'll give you a fun fact. On this movie, it took, for one minute of the film, it took a week to get, a week that's... to get a minute of footage. Um, and this is unlike drawn animation. If there's one fuck up in one shot in the film, you need to go back and start from the very beginning because all the shots have to align and it's impossible to go back. You have to start from the very beginning. They have it's to. Nuts. I, I imagine you could lose you, nine days of work. It's literally terrible. nine days of work if you fucked up one shot. It's why you don't see movies like this anymore because it takes it's too much time and effort. And I mean, I'm sure I don't know if it's. I imagine it's probably more costly. Um, um, this movie was eighteen million dollars to make, so it's like. I guess that's cheaper now than a lot of the regular animated movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, in terms of the different styles of animation, one, the top note on IMDb is that apparently in 2001, uh, Disney considered producing a sequel, but rather than using stop motion animation, they wanted to use computer animation. And apparently Tim Burton jumped in and convinced Disney to drop the idea entirely. Yeah, he said he was always very, very, he was always very protective of Nightmare to not do sequels or anything of that kind. Um, but even that aside, it's just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine because I've seen it happen with other properties, but it's like to see this world revisited with completely CGI characters, it would, it would kind of kill it, I think. I, 
agree, and I'm very glad they did not do a sequel. <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. It's just, it, you know, even if you go to other towns, of other holiday towns, that's what they were saying. Like, I like the idea of Jack visiting Thanksgiving World or something, and I'm like, I just, I think you could come up with a good story, but it's just, this story says enough of what it needs to say. Must yep. we really, didn't we say everything we needed to say? My pitch <laughs> for a sequel, and this is just a pitch, I have obviously no bearing in it, but it would be like, Jack Skellington and Santa Claus starting to like form an alliance and they're going into each new holiday and trying to like find the leader to form a council of some kind. I don't know, but that's just my pitch. I like where you're going with it. But I mean, either way, I'm very glad they didn't do a sequel because that was in the deep in the Eisner era where these like to home video sequels were popping out. That was the thick of it. That's when you saw animated sequels set every single yeah, you know you got like golden and silver age uh film got these like direct-to-video sequels what was the name what was the joke from family guy uh aladdin for jafar gets glasses <laughs> yeah, he said he said the the what looks but yeah <laughs> okay one or two and he's got that can, the it, thing can you go got... back to one again yeah <laughs> ridiculous but that's how it felt that era because i remember being you know we were young but i remember even like seeing ads for these things i'm like why why are we doing this i'm not saying all the sequels are bad but oh no of some of them were, some of them were some of them were great little mermaid 2 return to the sea underrated that one was uh, crazy ursula ex- has a sister and you're like what <laughs> something is like that right and it's, it, of course and then ariel has the daughter and then there's a uh, flat flounders old and fat it's really wild um, an extremely goofy movie, pretty good follow-up Extremely to goofy movie is actually a pretty good follow-up. I, uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Uh, anyway, not return, is... to, not return to uh, Return of Jafar, but Aladdin uh, and the King of Thieves. King of Thieves, yeah. Eh, not bad, you know, not bad. But uh, It's we... okay. The only problem with those movies, and it's a big problem, is that Robin Williams didn't come back to voice the genie because him and Disney got into an argument. He came back for King of Thieves. That was the whole hook for that movie that's why they did he yeah oh interesting yeah. anyway <clears throat> so uh, of disney, back to, back no, speaking of Christmas. disney yeah, 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 yeah uh they originally had no hope in this movie like none to the point where they kind of removed their label from the actual product and decided to put touchstone release instead of a disney release so they thought would be a nail in the coffin i guess but jokes on them. Jokes on them because it made $91.5 million, which Jeez. in 1993 is a lot of money. Wow. I know that doesn't seem like a, mo- a lot of money given how much Marvel movies make, but back then that was like a pretty good amount. This movie's also gained, not even, I don't want to say gained, it's also sustained its following every year. It's almost like Rocky Horror where like every year it keeps getting more and more followers. It doesn't really go away. No, Even people and, our age and older and, and newer generations, you know? And Disney does what they do best with this movie. They perpetuate and merchandise and capitalize on the product. Every year, uh, barring this year because Disneyland is closed, but every year they would add uh, Nightmare Before Christmas to the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. They do a lot with it. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, obviously this year Disneyland is closed. You ready to get into the plot? was a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams, for the story that you are about to be told. 
took place in the holiday worlds of old. Now, you've probably wondered where holidays come from. If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. I couldn't find out who the original narrator of that Patrick was. Patrick Stewart. That was the original narrator? The one from the movie? Because it doesn't sound like... It Patrick doesn't sound Stewart like him at all, at but... All. I know the, he came back and they did a re... I, that, was one of the, that was one of the notes I had, because on the soundtrack... On the soundtrack, it is Patrick Stewart, but it doesn't sound like Patrick Stewart in the movie. Anyway, I'm sure I could just Google it. I feel like an old man. Hmm. It's like if I stare a little longer, it'll like uh Oh, Patrick Stewart did the original introduction for the movie, which can be heard on the film's soundtrack. Really? That's the only note? All right. Um, That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's like available online to know. Like, I don't know who did the original because it does not sound like Patrick Stewart. Oh, um, <clears throat> yeah. So back to our, <laughs> back, back to the show. <laughs> um, all right. So as we enter the magical tree, this is Halloween begins to play. We are introduced not just to the Halloween town, but its inhabitants. A monster with spiders in its hair, vampires, a werewolf, witches, tree with skeletons, clowns with no face, Sally, Catherine O'Hara, and the silhouetted Oogie Boogie, Ken Page. As the song comes to its last verse, this wide range of characters converge in the town square. A scarecrow comes from the graveyard. It comes to life and lights itself on fire. The scarecrow jumps into the fountain and Jack Skellington, Chris Sarandon slash Danny Elfman emerges. Quick note here, since I have the notes up here, is that apparently Danny Elfman picked Chris Sarandon because he felt that his speaking voice matched Danny Elfman's singing voice. And he felt that his speaking voice, Danny Elfman felt his own speaking voice wasn't uh, good enough for the character. That's interesting because I just don't understand why Chris Chris Sarandon is even in this movie. My point earlier was like, there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. There's enough though. I don't even think there is. I feel like Danny Elfman easily could have done it. I don't really, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that they did that. I think it was Danny Elfman's decision to say like, I don't feel like my speaking voice fits this character, but it's just an interesting note that it's it's too big. Um, anyway. Also, Chris Sarandon, Susan Sarandon's ex-husband. That's how she got her name. This is a joke. No, this is... It's a joke. Because it's fact. Wait, that's a real That's a real note you just... That is a fact. She was married to Chris... That was her first husband, Chris Sarandon. And that's she how she got her name. name. She kept the last name Sarandon. That's so funny. I did not know that at all. I just... Wow. All right, that's cool. Well, Halloween is now over, and the town is elated at what a good job they've done. Although, what did they really do? It just seems like they were danced and pranced around each other. Did they, like, go to the human world and try and scare people? Like, I don't understand what you're celebrating right now. I like to imagine they spent 360 four days building up this giant musical they have, where they just sing, this is Halloween. (laughs) 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 They have like a whole, they have like tap dancers and they have, honestly, that's what I'm thinking that they do because, you know, we we know Santa goes into the real world, but do they? I don't know. They obviously all have access, but they obviously, yeah, if they go in those doors. Yeah, but they don't know about the doors. Right, but they clearly, well, they could have access. Well, obviously the monsters don't know about the other world. I guess Jack flies to the real world, but how long does it take to get to the real world? We are too early to be having this conversation. (laughs) But I I do like, like, you know, keeping in tune with the behind the scenes. 
well, this would be more of like a Family Guy style sketch is them just practicing and like really, um, you know, like when Peter's practicing for West Side Story and he, he falls over the garbage can. Like that's what I imagine. Like they're practicing for this is Halloween and like yeah. one of the monsters trips and falls and they're like, come on, you take it from the top, you know? The mayor at this town is just an overworked director. Oh, he really needs his, Who needs his lead actor anyway. Sally the Ragdoll slash Bride of Frankenstein hybrid watches from afar. She, gri- she is grabbed by Dr. Finkelstein. Finkelstein? She is grabbed by Dr. Finkelstein, William Hickey. To break free from her creator's grip, she unsews her arms and runs. Meanwhile, Jack is surrounded by his adoring female fans. The mayor, Glenn Shaddix, interrupts the swooning by listing off the awards. That's a good bit. Yeah, the mayor and uh, Glenn Shaddix, you know, RIP to that guy. Four went out. He, uh, I guess... Tim Burton was just like on the Beetlejuice set and was like, I have a movie for you and for you, Catherine. The rest of you, fuck off. That's, I think these, well, uh, oh, I guess they would have been filming around, if they took three years to film this and Beetlejuice was 89, it would have been shortly. But something like maybe that. Maybe it was 89. I don't remember. Anyway. But that's cool. It's a good little, uh, good little fact, fun fact. Um, Jack makes his escape into the graveyard where he begins to sing Jack's Lament. The song conveys that while he, while he is the master of fright, he's also tired of all the horror. He longs for something new. Sally watches this soliloquy, understands. Jack and his dead dog, Zero, start to walk through the dead forest. I'd say ghost dog, but yeah, he's, I mean, I guess he was once a dog. At one, I don't he know. is a dead dog. It's like you know, the same thing with Casper. We don't like to think about a child being dead, but we're just fine with a dead child. You well, know? It's, just, it's, a, it's a ghost. You're focusing on it being a ghost, not it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. it is technically a dead child, is my point. Uh, <laughs> the next day, the mayor shows up at Jack's house to make preparations for Halloween. It is only 364 days away, after all. While Jack does not open the door, the mayor's head literally spins into a panic, which is a fun bit. I do love that when his he rings the he pulls the the yeah. spider string doorbell. He exclaims, <laughs> "Jack, I'm only an elected official. I can't make decisions myself." The band outside Jack's house says that Jack hasn't been home all night. Uh, fun fact: one of those band members is based off of Danny Elfman. Oh, that's funny. They, I don't know which one it is, but... <laughs> I see the resemblance now. <laughs> uh, when Danny Elfman is dead for a couple of years, the resemblance will be uncanny if oh you my. open the coffin. Um, Jack sleepwalking, apparently, finds himself at the holiday trees. I love that bit. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know if he's sleepwalking. I think he's just kind of depressed and no, walking. he's literally sleeping as he walks, and then he like picks his head up. I was like, where are we right now? I never got that he was sleepwalking. I always just thought he was kind of like depressed and keeping his head down. No, he was like out. He was, he literally woke up and was like, where, I, where the fuck am I? I, th- I, I never saw it as that. I never, I mean, I could. <laughs> Pull that shit up. I'm telling you, man. He looks as though he is like sleeping and then just wakes up and you're like, and he's like, what? Where uh, am I, Zero? <laughs> He's all upset. He's got, his head, he's got his head buried in his hands. Oh, and he's tired. He's yawning. His eyes are open, though. Are they? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. His eyes are open, but he's uh, just... I don't know. I thought his, he was sleepwalking. Well, his eyes are kind of like... There's a part where it looks like he's falling asleep with the trees, but... 
like a siren, the Christmas door calls to him. In an Alice in Wonderland way, Jack enters a swirling vortex that brings him to a new vibrant world, Christmas land. Exuberant, titillated and perplexed at what he is seeing, Jack explores this strange world and sings, what's this? It culminates to the silhouette of Santa Claus. Which, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, uh, what's this is pretty crazy. We'll talk about it later, though. Yeah, of course. Uh, back in Halloween Town, Sally's planning her next escape from Finkelstein, cooking him worm's wart and covering up the poison with frog's breath. Delicious. Frog's breath. Uh, the town folk are in a uh, Panic looking for Jack, just when they're about to give up, Zero's bark echoes into the square, followed by Jack on a snowmobile. He calls for an immediate town meeting. In the town meeting song, Jack tries to explain Christmas. The hook to the holidays, the red lobster clawed man, Sandy Claus. I mean, all- what says Christmas more than Sandy Claus? <laughs> His audience is captivated, but Jack can tell that they, do, uh, they really do not understand. Jack tries to break Christmas down in several science experiments, looking at mistletoe under a microscope, attempting to make a paper snowflake, dissecting a teddy bear, and crushing slash liquefying an ornament. It's uh, some real scientific stuff here. I love his equation on the board where it's like equals Sandy Claus. My question is, you're doing all this research here, and not once do you come across a book where it says Santa Claus? Yeah, none of it. I guess they don't have the right... I don't know the proper uh, literature. It did, It is. It's funny you said reverse Grinch earlier, and that's really what this montage felt like. It feels like when when Grinch is trying to, you know, he's trying to whatever work the sled. He's got the the antlers. Yeah, uh, for the reindeer. One, Mr. Grinch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is basically a similar kind of thing. It's just this yeah. lost character trying to, you know, create Christmas. Sally sees Jack's house from her room and prepares a food basket for him. To get to Jack, she jumps out of her window and sews herself back together. When she finally gets the food to him, she, Jason borns and instantly vanishes. Classic. <laughs> it's a classic move. Um, hiding, hiding Sally picks a weed and has a premonition. The weed turns to a Christmas tree, which is set aflame. The sun is rising and it's clear that Jack has worked through the night. As the experiments continue, Jack's obsession plays. Finally, coming to the conclusion that Christmas is not as complicated as he's making it out to be. He opens the window and exclaims to the masses outside, this year Christmas will be ours. Everyone in town is lined up outside City Hall to be assigned a job for Jack's Christmas celebration. Finkelstein will make the reindeer. Sally will make Jack's Santa outfit. The most important job of all goes to Oogie Boogie's boys, Locke, Paul Rubin, Shock, Catherine O'Hara, and Barrel, Danny Elfman. In a gleeful, sadistic song, the three sing about the mission to kidnap Mr. Santa Claus, which, classic song. Yep. As Sally tries to warn Jack that Christmas will be a disaster, the trio come in, but with the Easter Bunny. They went through the wrong door. That's a good bit. It is a good bit. I love uh, the guy with the axe in his head. Bunny! (laughs) The rabbit, George. It's um, great. The countdown to Christmas is shown in a montage accompanied by the song Making Christmas. There is only one day left until Christmas. Sally is putting the final touches on Jack's Santa outfit, but he feels something is missing. Again, she tries to warn Jack, but again, they are interrupted by the trio. They open the bag to reveal a confused Santa, Ed Ivory. 
Jack notices that Santa has hands, not claws at all. I mean, who knew? Who ever would have thought? Maybe someone who studied Christmas as hard as he did should have I known. I kind of do wish that this I wouldn't be a Disney thing, but if they took a left turn and Santa had this transformation sequence and he grotesquely turned into a Cronenberg-style, uh, you know, lop, giant lobster uh, cr- character with claws and a little Christmas so, hat. You want, like, some Rick and Morty shit here. <laughs> he also steals Santa's hat. That's what's missing. Hit the hat. I mean, It on. always is the hat. The trio are told to take Santa somewhere comfortable. And where's more comfortable than Oogie Boogie's dungeon? They stuff him down a narrow tube, and the Oogie Boogie song begins to play, and the torture begins. So good. The town is, it's a real fun time. Who doesn't Um, like gambling with Oogie? I know, it's really, it's an incredible bit. I do love that whole sequence, the neon glowing lights. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh, no, we're talking about it now, yeah. Well, Oogie Boogie's, oh, no, I was saying Oogie Boogie's song as a set, like one of our, as always with our categories, one of them is um, best animated sequence. Yeah. And, um, you know, this comes to mind in terms of just, uh, I just love everything about it, but uh, yeah. we'll get, I guess we'll get to all the songs when we talk about the, in the categories. The town is gathered around for Jack's sleigh launch. With a final Hail Mary attempt, Sally tries to stop Jack by filling the town with fog. It nearly works until Zero's nose shines through. Zero's nose, by the way, for the folks at home, is not a glowing, it's actually a glowing jack-o'-lantern. Yes. So, I, I, I don't know if you knew that, but it's something that people may not notice. So, <clears throat> until Zero's nose shines through, Jack is off to deliver presents. Sally runs off to find Santa in the hopes that he can help. She uses her leg to distract Oogie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? You're trying you to make a, a dupe out of me? He's got the one leg. I love that bit. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll save for final, but I just love that, that these was little. Absolutely ridiculous. I love. <laughs> he's so he's so upset when he sees that the leg is just a leg. <laughs> <laughs> he's so upset. It's so ridiculous because <laughs> he's tickling this little leg. As soon as it goes limp, he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Oogie is an absurd character. Uh, he's great. He may, he makes helps make this movie what it is. But we'll we'll we can debate at the end if you don't agree. Uh, the trick does not work, and Sally is taken captive. The children, parents, and police are all hor- horrified by the presents that are being delivered. These are the kind of presents I want on Halloween. This is I'm um, sorry, Christmas. These are the kind of presents I want at Christmas. This is what I was alluding to earlier. In retaliation, Jack Slay is shot down by cannon fire. Rough stuff for Jack. Tough. Tough. Watching from a cauldron, the Halloween townsfolk are disheartened. Jack survived the blast. Wait, wait, wait. Watching from a cauldron, the Halloween townsfolk are disheartened. Well, they think think he's dead. They think Jack is dead, but Jack survived the blast is where we're. Fall into a graveyard, he begins to sing Poor Jack. (laughs) What what begins as a somber ballad about... Bit of a narcissist, right? He but keeps singing songs about himself. Everything is about this guy. Poor Jack. That's part of what he's got to realize. It's not all about him. Uh, what begins as a somber ballad about his sorrows quickly switches to Jack's revival. Remembering that he is the Pumpkin King, the King of Halloween. The self-realization is quickly succeeded by the hope that he can salvage the mess he made. He must try to save Christmas. This is the moment, like, in The Grinch, where he's on top of the hill, and he hears the Who's waking up, and he's like, it came without boxes. It came yeah, without yeah, yeah. bags. It came without ribbons or tags. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But this is why I love this because he's realizing, and we'll, again, we'll, get, we'll reiterate the final thoughts, but um, 
that's what I love about it because it's not this cheerful positive message of like oh my heart can change because Chris the power of Christmas spirit it's like you are what you are and again that's the whole we'll get to that at the very end but um entering a crypt Jack is back in Halloween town he swoops down to Oogie's lair to attempt to save Santa and Sally Oogie pulls a lever and his house of horrors comes to life uh automatons with swords pop up robot cowboys with guns shoot and the floor spins uh, yeah, that whole sequence is awesome. Um, Jack evades all the obstacles. Oogie tries to flee, but Jack catches a loose thread in his bag. Sternly, Jack says, how dare you treat my friend so shamefully? And Jack- a bit of a liberal use of the word friend here. He's friends with Santa Claus. He fucking, like, met him for two seconds and well, stole his hat. But that's what I love about Santa's line. When I don't remember. I'm paraphrasing, even though I've just watched. But it's... Um, He's like, none of you make, uh, he's like, you're all crazy. He's like, she's the only one who makes sense around here, talking to uh, Catherine O'Hara. No, but it goes back. I think that the true message of the story is that Jack Skellington is a complete narcissist. Like I said, he has three songs where he's singing about himself. That's definitely, part of, that's definitely part of it. And he, I feel like he truly thinks he's friends with Santa Claus, his captive. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, like, that's sociopathic. I mean... Oh, we'll, 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 we'll open up the discussion after. Uh, Jack throws the thread into a spinning mechanism and Oogie unravels. The bugs that make up his body fall into the lava below. My bugs, my bugs. I feel like that's their version of I'm melting. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty spot on. Jack apologizes to Santa. Santa touches his nose and flies away, which why didn't you do that from the beginning? He was trapped. Uh, you're telling me there the, was no point in which he, he could in touch the sex, his stop, nose? Stop trying, to make, stop trying to make logic out of this. He was trapped in a sex dungeon. His little, uh, his little, tiny little hands were, his tiny little claws were in shackles. He's been a very bad boy. On the TV, we see Christmas was saved. Santa also comes back to Halloween Town to bring snow. The entire town breaks out into what's this. While the town celebrates, Jack sees Finkelstein with his new bride. Back at the graveyard, Sally is at a hilltop. She's interrupted by Jack, who professes his love for her. Under the large full moon, they kiss. The end. The end. Yeah. Um, let's get into the awards, and then we will touch final thoughts. Let's because do it. we have many. We're just going to follow the awards that we've been doing the entire time since we've been covering Disney. So... Best song, best animated sequence, best voice actor, most traumatizing moment. Josh, what is your best song? All right. So this was actually the hardest for me to pick because I'll just open by, and I'll try not to turn this into a speech, but like all the, all the music in this movie is good. Even the worst songs like are part of the experience, you know? So like, it's really, it was a a hard pick. Um, I, I completely agree. Every song in this movie is great. It's, every yeah, there's not yeah. like really a weak moment. Even like the, the only one the, that's kind of weak to me is um, Sally's, Sally's song. song. Yeah, but even that, it's part of her character. I don't know. I don't mind it. I just all the uh, what I mean. The only reason I'm prefacing this is because these are all so close together that it doesn't. I don't know. There's not really one that stands out more than the others. But for a couple runner-ups, what's this is a very bouncy kind of has created its own. Uh, identity as a Christmas song. Uh, it just sounds like it. Whatever. Danny Elfman's really good at what he does with music, obviously. So he knew how to capture that sound. I mean, they even used 
that music in like ads for other Disney movies that is, you know what I mean? It's just got this kind of like very catchy tune to it. Absolutely. Um, another, tr- my true runner up is uh kidnap the Santa Claus. I wanted, I was tempted <laughs> that's to my give runner up as well. Tempted to, it's good. That's my official runner up because it's just, I don't know. It's so good. I've that was about, catchy too. Uh, about Oogie's, the little kids. Uh, they're great. Um, my true pick would have to be Jack's Lament. Um, same here. Same. <laughs> no, so same. So, so, so it's insane. All right, so we'll just we get up with a discussion about it. I just feel like more than anything else, it's what captures the spirit, for lack of a better word, of what the movie's trying to say. And I like that they reprise it when Jack comes back to realize he's the Pumpkin King. It's kind of like this whole. It's the core of what drives the story and just the way that the music sounds it's got i don't know the way dane elfman sings it's just it, the whole thing really works yeah and maybe this is a a personal thing but it's also how many people just feel exhausted by what they're told they're good at you know it's like yeah but i want to move on to better and different things and that's kind of what Jack is singing about. It, you're just tired of your mundacity and you need something new. And that's kind of a feeling that, I don't know, I, I don't know about everyone, but it's a feeling I can relate to. Uh, for sure. Uh, like there's an empty place in my bones where it's, you know, he's talking about, it's yeah. brilliant because he's literally a skeleton, but it's like that kind of like poetic kind of nature of like, there's this feeling inside of me, you know I mean? It's just, yeah. This undead I mean, side of me. I don't know. I, it's good. It works. It is also a little vain. He's singing about how good he is, you know, how good his Shakespeare is because he could take off his head. Yeah. But, and he's but, talking about how scary he is. Everyone's scared of him. Anyway, best animated sequence. I went yeah, yeah, yeah. with. Go for it. Oh, I want to. My runner up was uh, actually the Oogie Boogie song because that was, like you said, with the neon, it was pretty, but I'm sure. We said everything before. My actual answer is, what's this? I feel like the way Jack interacts with the set around him is very different than he acts in Halloween Town. He's just like, just so gleeful. And you could see that through the animation and his willingness to like literally jump inside a snowman and then jump on a roof and interacting with literally everything in christmas land it feels very broadway that bit kind of like he's swinging around the christmas pole and he's you know sliding down whatever the 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 houses and yeah i will say though there is one traumatizing moment in that song when he's like leaning over the sleeping child don't do that jack that's not okay (laughs) but other than that i think it was like pretty cool what no, it, that's a great sequence. At least, I mean, visually, it's just to see this Halloween character interacting with all this um, stereotypical Christmas stuff. That was one of my runner-ups. My my best animated sequence, I actually, as we had mentioned, Oogie Boogie, I was a good runner-up. But my my top, my best animated sequence I went with was the opening. This is Halloween. It feels like this big stagey bit that they're preparing. Uh, as we joked about in the beginning, they spent 364 days preparing for it. This but, is all they do. But I love everything about it. It really feels, it almost feels like a ride because it's like the way it opens from black and you see the leaves, like you, when you enter the door, it, it feels a little like you're on like a 
not a roller coaster, but it, it feels like a ride because the characters kind of interacting with the screen and you get to see a little bit of everybody. And then it kind of like really unveils this world. And like, you could tell they put a lot of, I mean, they put a lot of work into this whole movie, but they put a lot of work into that sequence. Um, and I just really think it captures Halloween town and what Halloween looks like to a child in a really vibrant way. And I just think it's an incredible way to open your movie and down to the skeleton, um, the scarecrow, with on fire and into the green uh ooze you know lot ooze kind, and then yeah. it comes out as jack it's just a cool bit um visually it's the sequence that stands out to me more than anything else yeah so what's your best voice actor um at the end of the day um i felt like there was only one true choice um so i'm gonna go with danny elfman yep same here i just I feel like did, like I, you said it's the only choice i do have to give kudos because like the voice is the voice actors are very animated for lack of a better word. Like Catherine O'Hara really stands out. And um, who do we say from Beetlejuice? Um, oh yeah. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, or the, you know, the Oogie Boogie and all these, you know, the, the, the characters, the voice actors who provide for the, the voices for these characters really give it their all. But at the end of the day, Danny Elfman is the is the star. You know what I mean? Glenn Shaddix, who's the man. Yeah, that's the one. R.I.P. He was my runner-up, but yeah, you can take it away. No, I mean, there's not much else to add. Uh, sure, Chris Sarandon is technically on paper in the movie, but I really don't think there's even that much dialogue for him to work off of. Everything that Jack is is brought to life by Danny Elfman, so it had to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, most traumatizing moment. Take it away. I could have gone with Jack Skellington leaning over the child, but I did not. Uh, I went with Santa being tortured. I think that that's just like traumatic when you're a kid. You're just watching Santa be tortured by this like bag of bugs, like a five, six, seven. <laughs> who's like a weirdo this guy like the oogie boogie is just very strange he's sucking characters in with his crazy uh, lung capacity he's he's rolling in the die i don't know but that's mine what about you the whole um, movie is actually really traumatizing at a certain point i mean it's great at uh you know doing what it's doing in terms of trying to be like a not scary but trying to be a you know, it's doing horror for kids. It's doing a, it's creating a scary world and, you know, maybe a cute and cuddly kind of way, but it's, uh, they do their job well. And uh, the, <clears throat> I mean, really, even though Oogie, Oogie Boogie's silly, like I was thinking some of his, like his whole kind of world is very, you know, dark in a playful way, but I guess I went with Oogie Boogie, uh, the bugs falling into the dip. Mm. I mean, I know he's a bad guy, but it's really just, you know, here the voice changing, like you said, so equivalent of like um i'm melting it's a great comparison um but just to see that the bag rip off and there's all these bugs and the bugs are falling in it's a very um uh how do i put it it's a it's just a very they they really they really uh, milk that moment so yeah i guess if you're not ready for it as a child i'm just thinking it's kind of just really <laughs> see all these little bugs falling into it's the pretty fucked up the dip so anyway that's that's my mo that's so those are our awards let's get into our final discussion here Correct. I guess I'll start it. One of the reasons I say it's more of a Christmas movie or I said it was more of a Christmas movie is because it feels very much like a holiday movie where for the first time watching it, I saw the plot cracks. But at the same time, because it is a 
holiday movie, I kind of excuse the faults. Yeah. You know, we, we created a whole list, this podcast, of things that just don't make sense about this yeah, movie. Yeah. Like, do these creatures actually go out into the real world and scare kids, or are they just practicing a fucking song for 365 days? I, um, yeah. Jack Skellington being a narcissist. They're, uh, we didn't even talk about Sally and Jack's shoehorned romance, which did not work at all for me. I mean, it's... I Jack and Sally had, like, two interactions the entire movie. And at no point do I believe that Jack was like, this Sally girl, oh, she's got it going on. I need this rag doll. Like, especially when he has his own rag doll at home, you know? It's like, why? Why? I, I don't know. I don't think logic needs to be applied to a movie like this. I think like you were saying, but because that's it's my point. Because it's a yeah. Christmas movie, I don't feel like logic needs to apply to this movie. And I've seen the movie enough times now. I mean, um, I just I'm familiar enough with it that I have no qualms with any anything. I, I with anything I, I don't think there's in terms of like we and I've thrown around the idea of like what is a perfect movie. Uh we talked about it in terms of like Royal Tenenbaums and we've touched on movies that you and I have discussed in, in at great length and been like, this is as close to a perfect movie as it gets. I think as far as animated movies, this is pretty close to for me, a perfect film or a perfect movie because of like how well orchestrated everything is despite whatever logic gaps or plot holes or character misinteractions, I guess you could say, exist because it's so well constructed for exactly what it's trying to do. It's fusing these two holidays together. And like we said, it's a pretty core, uh, there's a pretty core message about like being true to yourself and like don't try and be something you're not. And it really is an anti-Christmas movie. So like because of everything it's doing in terms of its, what the film's trying to do. And like we said, like the music is great all around. Like there's really no downers and it's just this constant flow from beginning to finish of exactly what it's trying to do that I, I, I have no problems. Well, with. like you just said, the music is truly like the saving grace of this movie for me. Yeah. I mean, outside of the animation, which is beautiful in of itself, we can, but removing the artistry from it, like we said, there's a lot of plot holes, but I'm so moved by the music and what the characters are saying and relaying that it works for me. Like we were saying about Jack's Lament, that's like a deep song. Everyone has felt down and just like in a identity crisis at some point. So I, I, I don't know. The only thing that I have a question about is why I mean, obviously not this year because Broadway's closed, but why haven't they put this on Broadway? You have like a good like October to December run like every year. They do that with Elf all the time. I don't know, but every single time I watch this movie, that thought always comes to my mind is like the music and the story is so good and the characters are so great that it's like, why, why hasn't anyone tried to adapt it to the stage at all is beyond me because it's really it's literally fit for it it's like completely fit to be and like we were saying this has a cult following you put this yep. on broadway people are gonna flock to it it doesn't matter you. if it, it's not a well put together show people will show up you know what i mean people yeah. love it so much you know you don't even have to do, like i said do a temporary broadway show you don't even have to run it throughout the entire year october through december they do that with elf they did that with the grinch they did that with a bunch of Broadway shows you could do it with this I think it would be it would crush I mean as a musical I mean even, like we, I mean like this is why I'm saying it's cool for me if like for an animated movie it's close to a perfect movie because it's like 
everything about it is so good. And like you just said, like the music kind of carries itself. The music's good enough that you could do anything with this material. Yeah. And let's broaden this conversation out. I think one of the reasons it works is because Tim Burton hatched the idea or birthed the idea, but he didn't bring it to hatch. Right. Sometimes Burton has a way in the nineties, he flourished, but recently he has shown he is his own worst enemy when he gives into his darkest and craziest ideas. His latest, I want to say like four or five movies have just been like not good at all. He works best when there's someone to rein him in or there's a story to rein him in. Like Big yeah. Fish is probably my favorite of his. Oh yeah. And that's incredible. because he's working off of a book. When he right. or the Batman movies are great because he's working off a comic book. When he's, he's using left to someone his own else's, devices, right. it's like when he's got someone else's source material, he's a because he is he's a talented he's a talented dude. You can't deny it. But he's when he goes off of someone else's source materials, I guess when he's the strongest. Well, even when he, I don't know if the argument holds water either because Alice in Wonderland and oh, Charlie I mean, and the Chocolate Factory you're, you're and have, Peregrine's whatever and Dumbo um, are like all um, adaptions. And dark, not dark water. Uh, what is it called? Dark shadows. Dark shadows. Yeah, I mean, it's not always right. He's not always going to have Oof. the hits. It's been but. a rough. It's been a rough like uh, twenty years for that guy. Jesus. It's. Yeah, I mean, he's you know the only he's one got I can think of that's like decent around that time is Sweeney Todd. Oh, Sweeney Todd's good. I like Sweeney Todd. I am. My problem with Sweeney Todd isn't necessarily the fault of the movie. It's just that. I know the Broadway musical better. Oh yeah, but the omission of a lot of the omission of a lot of songs and a lot of plot points is like, why is this gone? But that's just me. Yeah. Anyway, um, but there's a lot of creativity, and I think it shows with with Nightmare Before Christmas. It's something that's going to stand the test of time beyond whatever Tim Burton does or whatever anyone involved has done. It's gonna. It's something that, like we've reiterated, it's got its following. It's popular yeah. for a reason you know what i mean and so i think there's something really special about it but i don't know if this movie is one of those movies that you need to catch young because something like the corpse bride i didn't watch until i was like i want to say i don't know 17 18 years old and it, I, it did not click for me i didn't like it at all and i've watched it again since and i still don't care for it I, it's just not good to me so i don't know if that's this kind of movie where but I guess that's um, a lot of holiday movies. I didn't see Nightmare Before Christmas till I was older. So I think you may be onto something with that because there's something, I mean, I don't know, because it's like, there's something. And again, I think because it's holiday based, it's one of those like people watch it every year where you'd be at Halloween or Christmas time. Yeah. So there's something that resonates with it in a, in a nostalgic way. Yeah. But even some know. like holiday movies, it's like you had to have watched them at an early age. Like, sure let's go with my Halloween pick, Hocus Pocus, let's be real. Like, if you're watching that for the first time and you're like 20s or 30s, you're gonna be like, what the fuck am I watching right now? I think it depends on the person. I agree with you, but also like, cause I know people who didn't grow up with Hocus Pocus, for example, and they hate it. That's what um, I'm saying. But I also know people who have seen it as an adult and they, for the first time, and it's kind of like they open up their perspective because it's like you're suspending your disbelief about the absurdity of the a movie like that yes um, just like tim burton we are mixing our halloween with christmas here that's it. so i think that's like a good spot to end this uh week's conversation on nightmare yeah. before christmas uh do you want to give your pick of the week uh i will since um 
you kind of uh, gave way just just now. I actually am, I'm going to go with the 2005 oh, <laughs> Tim Burton Corpse Bride. I'm actually not a big fan of this movie. I actually can't recall any of the songs. I don't know any of the characters' names. I've not watched it uh, often. I, I I really I I picked it because it's so in tune with what Nightmare Before Christmas did. Um, but like you said, they just didn't do it in a, a better way. I respect Corpse Bride because it's one of the last of its kind. Um, it's kind of like you and I've talked about Princess and the Frog being like the last of its kind in hand-drawn animation uh, for Disney. And so I feel like with the stop motion animation, this is the last of its kind for like whatever Tim Burton hybrid. I don't even think this is Disney Corpse Bride, but um, no, it's not. But I think that, Oh, actually, you know what? It's not the last of its kind because this also gave way to movies like Paranorman and all the Leica studios. This is actually, Corpse Bride is actually probably like the transition period because. Yeah, um, Box Trolls was kind of in the same. So I actually, I actually take that back. But uh, in terms of like what Nightmare, <laughs> it's still my pick because it's a Tim Burton claymation spooky kind of movie. So it's like really kind of keeping it in tune, even though I'm not. Spooky as, movie. Yeah. I'm not as big a fan of it. Um, but I do, I re, I'm, I'm such a sucker for stop motion animation and for like, you know, authentic production. And so. Even yeah. though it's not, like I said, it's not as memorable. Uh, still going to stick to my guns, but done. So tell the folks at home. For me, since it is uh, Christmas, I unless you're listening to it not on Christmas, my pick of the week is going to be Claws, the 2019 Netflix movie. Oh, I never saw it. That movie is phenomenal. It blew me away. I was not I expecting was much because it was, I was like, okay, it's just another Christmas movie. But I was started hearing good buzz around it, and I was like, okay, I'll check it out. I watched this thing, and I, I truly think it might become like a Christmas tradition or like one of those Christmas movies I put on like around the same amount as like Elf or Santa Claus or even How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Ron Howard movie, which is a good movie. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, it's fine. But Claws hits every emotional beat that you could want. I, Jason Schwartzman is the lead voice actor with J.K. Simmons as Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, Rashida Jones is in there as well. This movie is funny, it's charming, and it may be man tear up, man. There's a moment in that movie where if you don't like shed at least one tear, what the fuck are you made of? You're crazy. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot that was even a movie. But yeah, that's, I, uh, I've heard. I great think things. you would really like it, to be honest. I totally forgot about. it. I'm gonna add it to my my uh, list of movies that I'll try and watch before yeah. I die. <laughs> so that's my pick of the week. So let's wrap it up. This next week we will be releasing the ranking of the Disney and wartime era movies. Yep. So that's gonna be exciting. Who knows what the number one will be? Although I'm sure you can guess. With no, 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 give some mystery, leave some uh, surprises. Oh, it's going to be a surprise, but I don't <laughs> think how I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise given the conversations we've had. No. Anyway, you can follow me on Instagram and Letterbox at Mr. Filmart, and you could follow the podcast on Instagram at Who's Filmography. Josh, do you want to give your Letterbox information? Uh, it's Beesh. B-E-E-S-H. Letterboxed. The old Beesh. The old Beesh. Yeah. 
All right, everyone. We will see you next time. Have Merry a Christmas, folks. Merry happy.